All right, welcome to Equal Time Soccer. We're here with Gophers head coach, Steph Galan. Steph, you've had a chance to decompress after what was a, a tough season for you and the team. You've had a chance, but you've also had individual meetings with players, so I don't know if all the stress magically goes away when you have to then recap a stressful year with people. Um, but this, you know, you've been in the program for a long time, and I think anyone who watched the team would say a lot of things kind of combined to make this such a bizarre and strange year for the team and ultimately, you know, a frustrating kind of, lack of results that we saw at least on paper um what's it been like for you to kind of think back and process this season now that you've had a few weeks to or a couple weeks to like take a breath yeah i mean it's um it's hard uh you know because you uh you hit the nail on the head is the the results didn't come and you know there were periods of time where we felt like we were certainly doing enough um to to put games away except for the final piece of, of scoring goals and you know when you reflect back you know last year um you know you had april as a senior scoring goals the year before that you had sid squires as a senior scoring goals the year before that you had simone colander as a senior scoring goals with sid and april playing with her um you know and so you you had people step into you know that goal scoring role um that's that's certainly needed and at uh, at times this year we felt like we were creating very similar type opportunities and we just didn't have uh, somebody consistently putting the ball in the in the back of the net and that's uh, yeah that's that's hard um, you know because when you don't have a consistent goal scorer you try to have consistency of opportunities that you create and you try to have those in dangerous pockets on the on the field and there were a lot of times where we felt like that was happening and you're just going why is one of these not hitting the the back of the net and you know it's it's hard because there were a lot of really positive things that were that were going on and as as a coach in in this kind of a season you have to stay really positive and stay um optimistic and stay focused on what's going well while trying to tweak all the things that aren't um at the same time not be okay with losing and that's a really really hard uh fine line to to walk um because I'm one of those those people who I actually hate losing more than I love winning, um, which is a problem. Um, but uh, it, it made the season really, really difficult that way. But now, you know, having had the chance to step away from it, um, you know, look back at it uh, in a in a weird way, this is going to be a really, really good thing for the program long term. Um, you know, the fact that we were able to. Uh, to stay, um, to stay fighting and say, you know, driving forward and, you know, seeing growth in different, uh, different aspects and different players throughout a season like that um, speaks, I think, very highly for what, uh, what our program stands for. Um, and it set the stage for us to really put the, uh, our foot on the accelerator when it comes to the extra pieces of the soccer that we want to add that when, you know, you're, you're winning, it's like, well, why do we need to do more? You know, well, now we won three games, so don't ask me questions, just do it. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and, and you're seeing, um, you know, right now we're in an eight-hour training phase and you're seeing players come out and put extra work in in a very focused manner. Um, you know, when we had our individual meetings and we're laying out, 
each of their individual plans for growth, you know, you're seeing excitement about some of the additional pieces that are getting added onto their onto their plates. And so, you know, what this does is this leaves us very, very hungry for for next mm-hmm. year. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to use it as a, uh, you know, as a platform to, to spring forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a that's a, a very proactive way to put it of when you have such a rough year as a team, everyone knows they could do more. Right. And a- everyone knows that no matter how much I contributed to the success or failure of this team, no one, when there's a season like this, maximized right. what they could be doing because, or at least that may be overgeneralizing, but it's like when you have this kind of a year, yeah. you can do that. Okay. So we are going to jump into a segment we will call, where do they go? So, Coach, this is three top-performing players who all saw minutes in, if not different literal positions, different phases of the game um, and kind of slightly different roles. So the first one we'll talk about is Athena Kuhn. Um, She came in as a freshman and played as essentially a a holding midfielder off the bench. And then last year, a little bit out of necessity, got shifted back to a center back, was incredibly consistent back there. Um, And Nikki also got shifted to center back, so a fun pairing last year until Petey came back. And then this year, Athena again was, was kind of playing more in that reserved role and eventually saw well saw time both in the midfield and the back line but then also saw a few minutes all the way up top mm-hmm. so coach where will she go next uh, year center back okay that's a that's a clean it's a answer. hard it's a hard solid answer um yeah i think uh, i think athena is somebody who has um all big 10 potential as a center back um you know as you said last year super super consistent there uh you know and one of the things that we learned throughout the the course of the year as we were adjusting her to some different roles because she's one of those those players who's super talented and brings a lot of different things to the table and as things aren't working and you're trying to make adjustments you try to uh, make those adjustments with, uh, with with people who one can handle the adjustments, but to bring some skill sets to the table uh, that can be utilized to help um, you know to to help solve whatever issues you're you're facing as a as a team. And so she was a product of that a little bit. And you know uh, just in terms of her. Uh, her grittiness, um, you know, she's a super tough individual defender, um, and she's a lot better facing the game than having to uh, like have her head on a swivel and, and all of those things. Um, we're we're gonna stick with her as a center back, and we're gonna make her a great center back. Mm-hmm. Well, and she, I mean, for those who followed the team the year before, seeing her land at center back last year was kind of like. Let's see what happens. I was probably maybe like the world's biggest Athena Kuhn as a freshman fan. And I remember being like, all right, let's see what happens. Because yeah. you've, you've been clear that center back can be one of the toughest positions to adopt to, yeah. adapt to in the, at the college level just yeah. because the reads are, are faster. It can be harder. Um, you know, you have to be a vocal person letting your defensive line know where to go. And that's part of the reason why um, Paige Elliott, getting some minutes there and showing such incredible potential was also this year kind of like, whoa, where did this come from? Um, so the na- that is the next player of where is Paige going to go? Coach? Center back. Um, you know, th- that's going to be your, your center back pairing um, next year. And we think it's a, it's a pretty 
dang good uh, pairing. Um, you know, Paige on the left as a left-footed player and Athena on the right as a right-footed player. Uh, mm-hmm. Both of them very similar in terms of their competitive mentality, in terms of how difficult it is to, to beat them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paige dominates the, the air. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so having one of those who can do that and the other one isn't too bad in the, in the air mm-hmm. um, is, is going to be really, really good. Both of them have the athleticism to be able to cover the space in behind, to be able to, uh, you know, be a covering defender for the outside backs who we want to get a lot more involved in in our attack than what we were able to this year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, we think that that could be one of the best um, center back pairings in the Big Ten next year. And as part of the idea of kind of getting them solidified in those center back roles, the idea of making sure there's some foundation you can build off of when you need to make decisions at the outside back and sort of holding midfield is that part of the reason of just Uh, like let's just make this decision they both are rock solid and because we know we still have to decide and only pencil in what we're doing around them yeah you know it's uh i think again you know you uh you said it before of it's a it's a difficult position to kind of grow into a little bit and so they're both players who have uh who have experience at a high level there now after after last season uh for athena and then this season for for page and you know both of them have demonstrated an ability to to play that role um at the level that we would want and hope and expect um um, I, I think that they're going to be great. You know, we have um, one of our incoming freshmen is uh, is a natural center back, but she's somebody who it'll be easier for her to transition into an outside back role mm-hmm. and get comfortable there having that automatic cover and everything and mm-hmm. kind of learn underneath those two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when, when Athena graduates, you mm-hmm. have uh, somebody who's been on the field and, you know, played some some mm-hmm. solid minutes who can, uh, who can shift into mm-hmm. uh, that other role. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, this is not... Not part of where do they go. This is a side segment, so a tangent segment that everyone can enjoy. But I thought, you know, Alana Dressley coming on as that left left back and just yeah. being so incredibly consistent as a yeah. sophomore was also, I think, maybe one of the, you know, when a team has this type of a season, you're not really like writing banner headlines of like rah, rah, mm-hmm. rah. But she really seemed to have a banner year compared to, wow, you know, she wasn't written in Sharpie marker as a starter to begin with, but she battled into those minutes and then almost immediately became, wow, this is maybe one of the more consistent presences on the field for us. Yeah, you know, Elena was, um, you know, she's somebody who, she's one of the best individual defenders that we have in her ability to separate the player from the ball and turn and, you know, start an attack um, from, from mm-hmm. that role uh, was was really second to none this year. Uh, and, and she's somebody who we have to help her uh, become a more exciting attacking presence from mm-hmm. from that role. Uh, she wants to become that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she's somebody who wants to extend uh, her vision to like of what she can see and what she can connect out of there, but also mm-hmm. the timing on when she can actually join. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we she she had a fantastic uh, assist um, late in the season, mm-hmm. and you know we want to put her in position to be able to do that a little bit more. You know, in an ideal world, we'd be uh, we'd be attacking with both of our outside backs, which means. Mm-hmm 
mm-hmm. that our outside backs probably aren't playing 90 minutes both games on a on a weekend because mm-hmm. to be able to cover that ground uh, that that they'd need to cover in that kind of a system, um, you know, they're not going to be able to do that at that level uh, mm-hmm. for two games back to back like that. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, it's it's a matter of uh, you know who who emerges mm-hmm. as kind of the next players who who could potentially be those same kind of uh, kind of players that would allow the consistency of that attacking mm-hmm. presence. Right, because someone another another newish presence on the field because she was an incoming transfer. Like Katie Coker to me seems like more of an organic bomb down the sideline mm-hmm. outside back and that's probably why she ended up seeing some minutes in the front six you know in that midfield subbing role she's kind of a great energy off the bench type player but she much more when you see her visually comes across as like a she's gonna bomb down and overlap because she wants to send in across and she's ready to just like hang loose and go for it whereas yep. Al- alana seems so um locked in to what her role is that she doesn't seem like she's just going to bomb it down and just be like screw it I'm going to I want to go get this assist yeah you know I think that's that's pretty accurate I think um you know I think from uh you know Elena's perspective you know first and foremost as as a defender uh you know you can't be a liability you've got to be somebody who locks it down (laughs) defensively and once you once you have that piece Mm -hmm. now it's how do you Mm -hmm. contribute to to the attack and And reading and reading kind of when you're making the risk or not exactly because that's a tough read yeah I mean like very very good players are still not always like perfect at making that yeah and she's you know and she's one of those those kids who's ultra competitive um and and it starts with the the defending Mm -hmm. standpoint and coker is also ultra competitive but she's ultra competitive in the way of give me the ball so i can make you look silly (laughs) you know um which which there's definitely a a place for as well and you know and and for for coker i think that this off season is going to be um really good for her you know Mm -hmm. she's uh She's she's got to um, get to get to a place where you know she's um, she's comfortable in who she is and what she brings to the the mm-hmm. table and isn't like so high strong and you mm-hmm. know overthinking the the different elements as they mm-hmm. as they go. It just allows herself to just play because her natural mm-hmm. um, tendencies are are quite good uh, and, and she just needs to like needs to get into a flow mm-hmm. and she'll be able to do that over the course of this off season for right. sure. And to to wrap up our where do they go, this was probably more present in the live tweets of of the Gophers than necessary. But our constant following of is Katie Duong playing more of a purely attacking midfield <laughs> role? Is she is she getting sucked back into playing a box to box because she's someone with the level of fitness where she wants it seemed like reading from the outside she seems like someone who wants to contribute on both ends and she sometimes would track all the way back and bust up a play but then she's also someone who when she was all the way into that final third can really also be dangerous literally in the other box so it was it was tough to gauge there was there was at least one moment i remember when molly who has the best sideline yell of anyone on the coaching staff told selena to like stay back because Selena was playing that holding midfield role Mm -hmm. but she also has attacking instincts and it was like it what it seemed like to me from the the top of the box was Selena you need to make sure you're sitting because otherwise Katie will feel like she has to drop back and and fill that space even though that that three-person midfield or even the four-person diamond can be somewhat dynamic talk a little bit about whether yeah where you want Katie to be kind of at her peak pinnacle yeah at her at her 
peak, you know, we want her being able to focus more on the attacking side of the of the mm-hmm. ball and, you know, transitional attacking moments. So, mm-hmm. you know, her where she's ripping something off within the within the press when the backs are trying to connect into uh, our, our opposition midfield and, you know, rip something off in transitions, much like what Molly Fiedler mm-hmm. um, made kind of her, her bread and butter. Um, you know, but Katie's somebody who she has a fitness base. She has a very, very high um, IQ. And mm-hmm. as a freshman, what that translates to is you're just going to do the work uh, because you can. Uh, and as a sophomore, what that'll translate to is open your mouth and uh, direct other people to do the work mm-hmm. so you can be in a better uh, pocket for when the ball transitions for us to find you and get you more involved and have you have a lot more left in the tank in that end of the field. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's something that, uh, you know, we're, we're working to uh, to continue to build her confidence and her ability to um to lead vocally and not just uh, not just by example, and you know, with the with the work that she puts in on a consistent basis, uh, you know, with what the the players see out of her day to day, she's got the respect out of not just her classmates but the upper class as well, who will respond um, very well to that. So, mm-hmm. in an ideal world, you'll see her starting to take more of a vocal leadership role within the within the midfield that allows her to uh, to focus a lot more on the attacking side than what mm-hmm. she than than doing the work defensively not that she's not going to defend mm-hmm. but that she's not going to have to cover as much ground because she's helping get the other players uh organized and stepping mm-hmm. in areas where they can right well in that same ability that makes her so dangerous as a kind of tenacious defender like i described her and sadie harper and a few of the other like point guard sized players as just being like constantly in this full court press where you're in this like deep defender stance just like hustling and grinding it you know just fully ready to just force you onto the sideline the same thing that makes her good about that is what makes her so dangerous like you said defending in different parts of the field too so Mm -hmm. if she's in the front toward the front of that press you know she's someone who can just absolutely like break people's spirits by just being up there and not even letting them develop into that final third exactly and being like in in that place though you'll see teams start trying to bypass and go over the top yeah and Mm -hmm. and now she's in a better pocket for us to be able to connect forward and not be under immediate pressure either so Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you hopefully we'll see that transition happening uh, through the course of the spring. Mm-hmm. And our next segment, because <laughs> we have official segments, Coach, you know this. The speaking of the attacking third, this is this is called the final third, and we are going to discuss. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of, um, especially over the years, even as different players kind of come into the lineup. It seems like there's kind of a hot spot on either side of that attacking third where. You know, when it's a 4-3-3, those wingers are kind of sitting almost at the corner of that 18-yard box, or that's kind of a receiving spot for them. And it seemed like there was a lot of times this year where someone would receive, and either, as you've mentioned earlier, there wasn't a top kind of goal-scoring target to combine with them, or the player would kind of, there's this decision point as soon as they receive, and they take the ball and you're either going to see them like go to the end line or they're going to cut inside and try and rip it for themselves. And I think a couple of the players like um, Manthe Brady, uh, Katie Duong, and a couple others really started to show that I'm just going to take this in and I'm going to rip it with my yeah. left foot and try and go upper 90. But it seemed like that spot was sort of a 
when that combination play in that type of spot was on, then the attack felt really dangerous. But other times, if someone was on an island, then the decision-making seemed even more stressful and even more like, oh, what's going on? Talk about kind of that... um, that receiving of I'm a player and I'm an attacker and I'm in the final third and I receive. Yep. Then where, like, what what is my mindset supposed to be once I get that ball and I'm like, here we go? Yeah, your mindset is, you know, first of all, if you can receive it facing forward, receive it facing forward. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we don't want you looking to uh, to be safe and, and connect backwards. We want you on the front foot. We want you an aggressor. We want you dictating what's uh, what's going to happen next. And, you know, one, one of the things that they hear over and over is every 2v1 starts with what? Well, every 2v1 starts with a 1v1. And so you have mm-hmm. to have that 1v1 mentality of I'm mm-hmm. going at that back and I'm reading, do they have cover? If they have cover, where's the cover coming from and mm-hmm. what off balances them the, the most? And so, mm-hmm. you know, you have to go into every situation in that area of the field feeling like a, um, like a 1v1 attacker who can take mm-hmm. risks and has the freedom to fail because you're going to mm-hmm. fail more than you're successful if you're uh, aggressive mm-hmm. the way we want, you to, we want you to play. And so, you know, if, you, uh, if you're driving in line, you know, the, the big thing that we want you to, to look at is once you take that touch past them, can you cut them out with the mm-hmm. next touch and almost like kind of y- you think back to mm-hmm. uh, the April Bakken or the mm-hmm. Josie Stever who's going to come across the end line as mm-hmm. opposed to just automatically serving a ball as I'm drawing the next one that mm-hmm. opens up that player that much mm-hmm. uh, that much more inside mm-hmm. the uh, the 18 or mm-hmm. hey I'm going to have a go at the near post here you know mm-hmm. um, if you know if you beat that player and that with that pressure that that cover player is now coming to, to pressure you can you slip it between those two to that next player who should be mm-hmm. uh, making, making that run yeah making the run to to get there mm-hmm. and on the flip side of that you know if there's if there's no cover or if that cover is overplaying that end line space you know can you go and can you get inside mm-hmm. and as you come inside can you find that higher player making that run to slip them in behind like mm-hmm. between the uh the center backs or you know are you comfortable to have a go or mm-hmm. can you find the off balancing player coming from outside in on the mm-hmm. on the back as post? you cut in is there yeah. someone overlapping yeah and you know and if you're going to strike can you strike it in a way that mm-hmm. the that the goalkeeper um is going to have a hard time handling it cleanly and it's going to rebound. Like, rebound for somebody who's who's in that spot so mm-hmm. you know our our mentality is when you get the ball in uh, in that area of the field, you know, can you be facing forward and uh-huh. can you can you go at players to create what <laughs> happens next? And sometimes, you know, it's a combination. Sometimes it's just a one v one, and you know, the the confidence to to handle those situations. Yeah, it's it was. I mean, it was interesting to see which players were willing to, for lack of a better phrase, try shit like yep. in that final third, yep. because you started to see, like when you know. Duong's kind of ridiculous goal that she scored Mm -hmm. was a little bit of a combination play, obviously, but it was that willingness to take it from the top of the box. And I feel like there's been there's been years past where even arguably more offensively talented teams still actually didn't necessarily try a lot from distance. Mm -hmm. And I know you've we've talked about this before and you've brought it up to players before of having those goes from from a little ways out can also help stretch and open exactly. up opportunities yeah. on the next possession because then 
they're worried about you taking a 23-yard try, yeah. and so they're coming a little closer to you and freeing up that that ball in behind. Yeah, it's a you know you you play it a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and you're you're kind of okay. Well, if right now if they're if they're staying drop back and it's really hard to play between them and to create mm-hmm. that that final pass, all I have to do is have a couple goes and make them you know them have to make plays on them and you know keeper has to tip one over the bar, it's off the crossbar, like whatever the case may be. Right. Now they have to step, which opens up what you ultimately want mm-hmm. to take. And you know, in uh, in, a, in a couple games, you know, like uh, I mean, Nikki's go from mm-hmm. uh, you know in the in the Nebraska game and and stuff like you know if she doesn't try it, it doesn't go in, right? You know, um, from now, from maybe how many, forty now, or how whatever. Many times is that going to go in? Maybe just that once out of you know out of a hundred. Right. tries from that distance but mm-hmm. the one that, that she took is the one that it uh mm-hmm. that, that went in so um you know you you want to ultimately in the in the final third you want the majority of your chances to be from the highest percentage mm-hmm. opportunities right and what mm-hmm. we refer to as kind of our green zone mm-hmm. and those are going to be inside the 18 within uh kind of within the frame of the goal um right. is where those high percentage uh opportunities take mm-hmm. place and you know some of those are going to be you're getting slipped in some of those are going to be you're getting it off the dribble and right. some of those are going to be when somebody attacks the end line and then and finds you feeds you that diagonal exactly ball. and so you know ultimately that's where you want the majority of your opportunities to come from. Right. And some of those longer ones can help free those exactly. up. Well, in the a little bit related, but maybe maybe somewhat different too, there was um, partway through the year, you know, you've been kind of, at least since we've been covering the team, famous for that 4-3-3 of kind of that, that three-person midfield, three-person mm-hmm. strikers. And you shifted to that a little bit more of a 4-4-2, which, you know, Formations can be what they are. Yeah. Ultimately, if a team's playing the same way, they can mean almost nothing. Yeah. But it was, it was at least. Um, it seemed like maybe part of it was to have some clarity of role or to like mm-hmm. simplify the way players were perceiving where they were supposed to be. It also coincided with some kind of positional shifts for yeah. players, so that may not be you know <laughs> a surprise either. But talk a little bit about kind of what went into that and whether that's something. Um, you know, are you still planning on trying to return back to that four three three, or is it um, is the formation sort of flexible slash less relevant than just the overall tactic? So I guess maybe a better way to say it is, you know, will the formation shift or will the tactic shift or are they both essentially mostly the same it was just kind of tweaking around the edges uh, we were tweaking around the edges a little bit you know we we were struggling to get the results that we that we wanted um some of that we felt like uh you know we um we felt like our, our center forward was getting a little bit stretched within our press mm-hmm. that people you know we people knew what we were what we were playing and so they started utilizing their keeper and mm-hmm. stuff and stretching into a big shape just to try to get us to chase mm-hmm. it a little bit mm-hmm. and so you know trying to uh, trying to shift to something that still got the numbers that we wanted into the attack um, simplified it f- within our within our press with the the two being responsible really for the the center backs and getting it you know locked to to a side which are um, you know our wide midfielders in that uh in that situation when we switched to the the 4-4-2 they were going to go and be able to put them under under pressure there so you still Mm -hmm. had the width you still could deal with um teams who were going to try to attack with their with their outside Mm -hmm. backs but you also freed up some space in the midfield for katie duong um Mm -hmm. to to be a little bit more free and to make the judgment of where because the other four were basically hat on a hat yeah and so she got to make more of a judgment individually of now where do i go make the piercing Sort of like yeah. the, 
like the classic April buck and I'm going to slip and steal it and literally create a chance like that. Yeah. You know, and so, um, you know, we, we had gotten to, to a point where, you know, we wanted, um, we wanted Nikki to be able to get into the involved mm-hmm. in the attack a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, and her coming from a deeper role within midfield as opposed to the higher role in a in a four three three. We thought would be an easier transition for her as as well. Um, so there were there were different things that that played into it, um, you know. And ultimately, we felt like we had a team who uh, tactically, you know, it wouldn't take a lot for us to go over something for them to be able to pick it up and, and execute mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, so we, I mean, we made that shift heading, uh, heading into, um, big 10 play is when we started mm-hmm. looking, uh, looking at that as, as an option. And, you know, ultimately we, we did a little bit of both, um, mm-hmm. through, throughout. And so, you know, there's a lot of principles that remain the same in terms of how we want to attack, how mm-hmm. we want to defend and, and everything. It's just that the shape, uh, the starting shape is a yep. little bit different within it. So, so um, just trying to get, you know, uh, a different combination of players on mm-hmm. the on the field. Um, uh, again, when you're not scoring goals, you're trying to figure out, is there anything that we can do? To, How can we engineer yeah, something? Exactly. Yeah. Well, it was interesting, especially, I thought, because of because of what you mentioned of it changed kind of the top, you know, obviously mm-hmm. having two dedicated strikers instead of the three attackers spread out a little bit more. And then it also, in some ways, I thought clarified that holding midfield role too mm-hmm. of, but ultimately a lot of the times it was still, you know, the shape still looked somewhat similar and all yeah. those things, but it was, yeah, it was, it was interesting. I think because there were other times where it seems like teams also, I think like to mess around with formations a little bit just to like keep things like, what are we saying? We're running. How does it look on the yeah. field? Are we tweaking partway through the game? So I think we were all getting fooled as fans as well. So you can be, <laughs> you can be happy about that. And then, uh, the next next chunk I'd like to talk about is just are, is there anyone on the team? I thought um, I thought in general to back up a lot of freshmen, such a giant freshman class, mm-hmm. a ton of new starters, even outside of a big freshman yeah. class plus three transfers. And I thought as the team went on, you mentioned earlier the team really did stay pretty engaged. Yep. I mean, considering how brutal things got at times result wise, mm-hmm. the the play on the field actually. I thought at times was even better than much more successful mm-hmm. like teams result wise in the past. And what was even more impressive within that kind of layer was that a lot of players got time on the field. Like almost everyone got at least a couple games to at least show, hey, here's a little bit of what I could do if you throw me into this situation. Mm-hmm. You know, the Linnea Yacovellas, the Lauren Roberts, the the people who early in the season maybe were like cleanly just watching and learning yep. then did get some on field time. Was there anyone kind of within that or even anyone who didn't see the field um, that maybe we didn't call much attention to that you saw really improving over the year um, that really kind of showed some undercover progress? Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, from, from my standpoint, you know, a couple that maybe that will, will, Maybe surprise you a little bit just in terms of they they are players that we that we touch on at different mm-hmm. points, but I don't think um, that we've you know really necessarily said mm-hmm. this is this is going to be somebody who's going mm-hmm. to have like a heavy a heavy impact as we move forward. And I think um, you know Mackenzie Langdock is one of those um, who mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, she scores two goals uh, real early and then, you know, is quiet in terms of, like, the mm-hmm. goal scoring the rest of the way out, inconsistent in terms of the mm-hmm. minutes, inconsistent in terms of the, mm-hmm. the play. And, you know, partway through um, Big Ten play, uh, we started really getting her focused on, uh, you know, going out 
at a defender, not just mm-hmm. going near a defender, like actually driving at mm-hmm. a defender and, and making you know, that making, defender make yeah, a choice. Yeah. And, you know, as, as she started to do that, you could see her confidence start rising. You could see mm-hmm. her, you know, starting to kind of take that, uh, that next step as like, I'm, I'm going to get away from playing so safe all the time mm-hmm. and I'm going to, I'm going to start taking some risks. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think you're going to see her, uh, mm-hmm. really continue to build off of that in mm-hmm. the, in the spring. And, um, start to be a more dangerous player on a on a more consistent basis. The, there were some games where I almost like sent you a message and said, "Is the other team like is the defender that's guarding Mackenzie like a lot slower or is she a lot faster?" Like there mm-hmm. were games yeah. where she just I was like, "Who is this?" Yeah. You know, like because her her play has never been like flat out speed. Right. You know, top line speed is not her game. Her game has been. Where she is spacing wise, mm-hmm. good first touch, hold up play, smart, sneaky, kind of runs into space, yep. solid finisher in the 18. Like that's how I would describe her to someone who's never watched the team. And then the last few games I was watching and I was like, who is this player? Like yeah. she was just, I was like, what is going on? It was, and like you said, it clearly has to have been something with confidence because yep. she looked way faster on the ball way quicker she was running past players I mean which has never been what I what I've seen of her game and there were times where I was I almost messaged you kind of like holy crap what's going on like she did that there was a noticeable difference yeah so she's she's one um Meg Gray is another Mm -hmm. one who I thought um you know as a as the season progressed uh you know late as uh you know we we shifted her into the into the midfield when we were playing a midfield three mm-hmm. we shifted her in there and you know that was after um Ari was done for the mm-hmm. the season we needed to you mm-hmm. know figure figure that out and I thought that you know she's she's somebody who's um who's really starting to uh to come along speed of play was good you know she is mm-hmm. a player who's willing to you know to mm-hmm. try stuff in the in mm-hmm. the final third mm-hmm. um she's gotten so much better at reading the game mm-hmm. um you know like she's rarely not where mm-hmm. she's you know she's like yep. she's where she's supposed she, to be she's um, the, she's the type of player where her her top line speed even though she doesn't have necessary she's also not like a top top sprinting athlete yeah but she's someone where her positioning and passing and combination yes. play makes you forget that yeah. because she still seems dangerous because she's always in those spots yeah and she can still actually kind of get by players because if you're thinking faster than other players yeah. You can go find them because they're so like trying to figure out what's going yeah, on. Yeah, and her uh, and her defending has come a long way as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you're starting to see her mm-hmm. like where before she'd be there and she'd get in a tackle, but they were always tackling through her and going the other mm-hmm. the other direction. And you saw her, mm-hmm. you know, being the one to to kind of lay wood a little bit right. and uh, and walk away with the with the ball. So, um, you know, she's she's coming a, a long way. Um, you know, somebody like two two other players uh, who were were excited to. Uh, to kind of see where things go, um, Kez, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Kez Ennis, um, in terms of just from where we started in August to where we are now, most mm-hmm. improved player by far, um, mm-hmm. in in my mind, and is is definitely um, putting herself in a position to mm-hmm. to start fighting for for some minutes uh, as as an outside mm-hmm. back, which is going to be mm-hmm. a, a fun thing to to see, and then getting Kenna back, mm-hmm. um, you know, Kenna is like, I mean, people thought Kenna was like athletic before, well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kenna's now athletic and has control of her body. Mm-hmm. Um, K- 
Kenna, like she's been forced to actually mm-hmm. break down and focus on, you know, different elements of, of her athleticism. Mm-hmm. And she is going to be a lot more dangerous than what she has mm-hmm. ever been. So we're, we're excited to get her back. We are at least, I am at least the co-chair of the Kenna Beisman fan club because she just <laughs> like the potential is so fantastic yeah. of just, She's she's strong. She's fast, and like you said, adding a little bit more of that agility of the the small movement, yep. not just the straight. Because straight, yep. she had straight line speed, yep. and now adding the small space movement is going to be so great. And then if that touch comes along, even just like a little bit, like yeah. that first touch and hold up play, yeah. is like is just like well, and I would, amazing. And I would put her as kind of the the catalyst for the change that we've seen in in Kaz as well. You know, because when right. we traveled and and stuff like uh, Kenna. Was the was the person yeah. at home running the sessions with the teams? We gave yeah. her the sessions to do, but she's the one who who executed it, and so right. she did a pretty pretty phenomenal job with the growth that we've seen in the, some of these players. The junior captain, the <laughs> the the watch the kids while the parents are away, yeah. babysitter, Absolutely. which is great. And Kez, it's great that you're talking positively about her. We haven't lost her to Minnesota Winters yet. Not she's yet. From, she's from San Diego. Yep. Kez, just you'll make it through. I, it's going to get worse. January and February will be bad. She bought some winter clothes. We're, we're okay. Exactly. Yeah, it's an excuse to gear up. <laughs> yeah. It's an excuse to gear boots, up. She got boots. She got gloves. Just wait. The spring is great. <laughs> don't let the winter scare you away. We, we love to keep you. Please don't leave. The, and then one other thing that we talked about earlier in the year and then I think um, got lost a little bit uh, was kind of the challenging nature of this schedule. And mm-hmm. I think – Probably all the way back to the first season I covered the team, um, I think the first full season I covered the team was when you lost out on the NCAA tournament as an at-large squad. Yeah. And plenty of folks, obviously, there was mixed opinions, obviously, since you didn't get in, but plenty of folks thought you deserved to get in anyway. Yeah. But one of the things that always comes up when you're left to be an at-large team is strength of schedule, yeah. RPI, who you play dictates so much of your RPI because it's like your opponent's opponents like you get so deep into the schedule tree and so this year I think was the first year when a really a pretty significant pivot happened in the schedule where it was tougher road games tougher games overall fewer um of the mid-major type games um and all of those things and I know I know from talking to the staff a lot of road games also is is a challenge for like getting practice time in so yep. newer players you know can't adopt it adapt yeah. as quick but um talk a little bit about was the schedule as big of an impact as i kind of just described now and then also you know how does that look moving forward because i know schedule building isn't exactly a oh the season ended so we're building next year's schedule uh, yeah. it's a no, years-long we, process yeah um but talk about what did it actually have as big an impact as kind of how I was characterizing it? And then what does it kind of look like for next year? You know, um, I think, again, if uh, if you look at it and you say, okay, instead of uh, tying Santa Barbara, you win that game, which you were in position to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if instead of, um, you know, dropping the game to uh, Ole Miss in, in overtime, you mm-hmm. get that tie uh, mm-hmm. or even the, the win that you were set up to, to get there. You know, with uh, with Arkansas, um, you know, if you find a way to, to get it, like so, you're you're just so close and, and mm-hmm. stuff that if you if you change even um, even a couple of, of those mm-hmm. those results, because if you if you look at it, um, we only had three wins. Mm-hmm. We were still in the top half of the RPI 
with only three wins. Right. Like, you know, which is outrageous, which is, which is insane because, you know, Arkansas finished in the, in the top 10 of the RPI and we Mm -hmm. tied them uh, Mm -hmm. at a, at a neutral site. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we beat NC state Mm -hmm. um, who finished in the the top 25, I believe. Um, Up there, definitely up there and and stuff. And so you're, you're talking for like what, what you, we just learn is that the, the margin for error is so small, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, which we know, and but, the and the tougher schedule makes it smaller. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, from from a standpoint of, um, you know, if if we didn't play the kind of schedule that we played, and we ended up with the with the same results, mm-hmm. you know, you're way down there. Like I, I can right. think of Big Ten teams who finished, mm-hmm. um, you know, outside of the top two hundred someplace mm-hmm. um, and, and stuff. And with our with our schedule. We, you know, mm-hmm. we were inside the, uh, the, the top 160, which, mm-hmm. you know, again, I... Is like, it, and it's just, for those who haven't tracked, I mean, like, the RPI is just a massively important driver yes. for the selection committee. Right. Either your own RPI or your record against other right. top RPI team. Like, it's, yeah. it's like the, <laughs> it's the whole, it's like... Right now, it's the end-all be-all. It's the like, whole deal. Yeah, that's, I mean, so, so from a standpoint of... Um, it was it was difficult because we were on the road quite a bit mm-hmm. um, in the in the early stages, mm-hmm. which uh, you know again you get those results and it mm-hmm. changes. You know, mm-hmm. uh, as we move forward, uh, it's not easier. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we are still going to put ourselves on the road against some top competition because mm-hmm. uh, that's just what we do and who we are. You mm-hmm. know, we were a program that. Um, you know, we we want to strive to win Big Ten championships. We want to mm-hmm. strive to you know be in the in the top twenty five in the in the rankings and, and everything. Mm-hmm. And to do that, you have to play teams that mm-hmm. uh, that validate that uh, in a way. And so, um, you know, this this season for the group of returning players, um, it's season them, and they they do they do realize how small that margin for for error is and it's going to benefit us as as we move forward uh because this this upcoming fall uh we have some heavy hitters uh in the the non-conference portion of the uh of the schedule and we want to do better with with that Mm -hmm. well coach you're into the eight hour a week time of the off season and then eventually there's i'm sure an actual like winter break and then you'll have your your spring season will there be i'm assuming there'll be some games open to fans maybe where yeah, folks we, can come watch so where our fall schedule is done well in advance our spring <laughs> schedule is done after um the the season is is done and so uh Becky's working on that right now. Mm-hmm. I think the challenge for us in the in the spring is um, with the weather and, and everything. Can, uh, you don't Min- know Minnesota spring and winter can be <laughs> yeah. unpredictable for you, you. You don't know when you're going to be able to start playing out mm-hmm. at ELR, and so mm-hmm. you know we're scheduled. We're trying to schedule dates where. Uh, we have dome availability where mm-hmm. we can play on a full size field mm-hmm. um, and not have to play smaller numbers uh, mm-hmm. to, to be able to get the, the quality of games that we that we want that hopefully also give us the the chance that if we're mm-hmm. able to play outside we can play outside and, mm-hmm. and do that that way so um, you know they'll like once once we have the the schedule locked mm-hmm. up it'll it'll be out there mm-hmm. well and the benefit of having your your now mega roster is that you won't be hurting for numbers in the spring theoretically so you'll 
Yeah. Get those 11 v 11 on. Yeah, we'll, we'll that's see. That's true. Give those keepers some field time. Get them out and outside back. Give them some. Uh, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that's not going to happen. All right, Coach. Uh, head Coach Stephanie Galan of Gopher Soccer, thanks so much for doing the recap. If folks want to learn more about uh, how the season went, there's plenty of pieces online as well. But thanks so much, Coach. Thank you, Matt.